way, before we get into this message, we're talking about Gideon today. Pastor Nicole brought message one last week, and I'm going to wrap it up today. But before we do that, one of my favorite holidays of the year just happened. In fact, I love it so much, I did it twice this week, all right? Monday, I had some friends in from out of town, so we did Thanksgiving. I had buffalo chicken calzones and watched football on actual Thanksgiving. And then yesterday, I did another one. So I want to do something real fun, but this only works if you all participate, okay? So I need some crowd participation here. I had Jason make a slide, okay? And on this slide... There are five items listed. I actually haven't seen this slide yet, so maybe the five items aren't listed. I'm going to give you five items, though, all right? Here we go. I want you to pick your favorite, and then we're going to just do, like, by crowd participation, by volume, we're going to figure out what the best dish at Thanksgiving is, all right? So the first one would be turkey with gravy, okay? The second would be stuffing with gravy. You can only scream for one of these. The third... This is a tough one, would be sweet potato pie or sweet potato souffle or whatever your family calls it. Hold on, hold on, hold your applause. All right. The fourth would be your family's secret corn dish, whatever that might be, with gravy. My, I, we actually have a really good one. Last one would be your favorite pie. Okay, does everybody have their five things? You you're, you're one of those five things? If you are team turkey and gravy, let me hear it from you. All right. I don't know. The, the pause makes me question your commitment, all right? If you are team stuffing with gravy. Okay, all right. I don't know that we need to go on. Sweet potato pie. Anybody? Okay, yeah. If you make it in cast iron and put it on a smoker for an hour and a half, you might change your answer, all right? The fourth, your family's secret corn dish. No votes. None at all. Guys, we have one called Baycorn, all right, that is bacon and corn, and it's, it's so good, okay? So it doesn't look like that. But anyways, all right, lastly would be your favorite pie. All right. All right. I, I don't even know. Uh, I don't know who. I think I'm going to have to go with stuffing on that one. You all showed up for stuffing. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, I, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays because it's family and it's food and it's football, okay? But also, you know, as a pastor, to say, like, this is my favorite holiday and it doesn't have to do with Jesus, right? It's not from the Bible, okay? It's not, it's not Christmas or Easter. But then my wife was reading in the message translation uh, this last week, and in Ephesians 5, chapter 4, there's this little translation that Eugene Peterson slipped in there that says, Thanksgiving is our dialect. Okay, he's talking to Christians at the church in Ephesus. None of this has to do with my sermon I have prepared this morning, so just hold on real quick. I just got to get this off my chest, all right? So uh, he's talking to Christians, and this is how we do behave, and this is how we don't behave, and these are the things that we don't say, and this is what we do. We, Christians, followers of Jesus, Thanksgiving is our language, it is our dialect, okay? And when she, so she put that like on her little Instagram letterboard or whatever and hung it on the wall. And, but I, thought, I saw that and I just thought, no, th- Thanksgiving is a Christian holiday. It's, it's who we are as Christians. We are thankful, right? We are thankful as we just sang of the goodness of God and what he's done in our life. And so uh, I personally just felt encouraged and challenged to kind of rethink that because I'm not gonna tell you I felt guilty because Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays and 
it's not necessarily Christian. I just felt like kind of like, hmm, what is up with that? But then I realized like, no, I am a thankful person because of what God has done in my life. And that just pours out. And this is a day we get to celebrate that. And so I love that while it might not have originated in the Bible, it is part of our DNA as believers in Jesus Christ thankfulness, thanksgiving, it is our language, okay? So there's your free pre-sermon. Let's get into the message today. We are in the book of Judges, okay? Probably not a book that you've spent a lot of time in, but um, last week, Pastor Nicole started this this series or this two-part message on the life of Gideon, okay? And we learned about the fearful but then faithful life of Gideon, okay? And if you remember from what she shared last week, The book of Judges was a time when kings were not ruling Israel, but God was talking to his people, the nation of Israel, through various judges, okay? Twelve of them are mentioned by name. We're honing in on this guy named Gideon. And you might say, and I have said in my life, so it's okay if you have said this, you might say, man, that was just a long time ago. I do not know how that could apply to my life in 2022. Like, I get it. It's all there. It's good. But that was just a really long time ago. And to that, I would say, I'm glad you're here today. And let's dig in and find out how it applies to your life. Because yes, it was thousands of years ago. But here's the reality. The first two-thirds of the Bible are what's called the Old Testament. And the Old Testament really does a great job of giving context for the New Testament, for when Christ shows up. But how does it apply to you to study people from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is filled with faithful, faith-filled, normal, everyday individuals, okay, who had their faith. Truly, the one thing that separates you and them is a man named Jesus Christ and his 33-year existence on this earth as a man. But if you were born before he showed up, you had faith he was actually going to come, okay, because it was promised. And if you're us, you are on earth after he showed up. We have faith that he actually is who he said he is and will continue to do what he has already started, okay? So that really is the difference. And that's why it does profit us to dig in and learn and read the Old Testament and learn from these faith-filled individuals and see what it is God has done, what God did and taught them through their lives, and then we can also incorporate that into ours. So The book of Judges, chapter 7, we're going to read from verses 1 through 8 to get started this morning. It says, early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me, they would say. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained, okay? But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go, he will go. But if I say this one shall not go, he will not go. So Gideon took them down to the water. And then the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs, and the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, 
with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go home. And so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took the provisions and the trumpets from the others. Okay, a lot there, but let me just start right out of the gate. We see that God is giving instructions that are going to make no earthly sense here in a minute, okay? He's going to pare down this army from 32,000 men to 10,000 men. 10, 000, so 22,000 go home. I am not a five-star military general, but I do know this. A bigger army is better than a smaller army, okay? This is just common sense, right? If I'm going to war, I want skill, I want talent. I say all the time when different people help with different things around the church or when I used to lead worship, my favorite two words, recruit talent, okay? Like recruit talent. Get people who are better at things than you and, and put them to work because that's what you want. But also, if I'm going to war, I do want numbers on my side, okay? Not just skill, not just talent, but also numbers. But God has this different plan. And so we see him tell Gideon to just give anyone with fear permission to leave, okay? If you read the end of chapter six, I don't know what happened, but Gideon was like rallying troops and 32,000 guys were like, let's go, right? I don't know if they just got swept up into the emotion of it, if they were like unsure about stuffing and then everybody cheered, so they just jumped in on it, or I don't know what happened. But what I do know is that when given the opportunity, they were gone, all right? They were just gone. And then as we continue reading in the story, we see that God wasn't done. And in verses four and five, he says, all right, that's good, but you've still got too many, okay? So I need you to take them down to get some water, take them down the stream, and I'm going to make a final cut. And then his line says, if I say this one will go, he will go. If I say this one will stay, he will stay. I don't know what Gideon was thinking at this moment, but I know what I would be thinking. I would be thinking, okay, this is a pretty significant loss in troops, but it sounds like it's going to be like onesie twosie from here on out, right? Like if I say this one will go, he will go. If I say this one will stay. So like he's going to call out like Jeff and Bill and Dan. I mean, I, and I have to have some conversations with them, but I get the rest, right? And then God says, no, actually, we're going to do an even deeper cut still. And when we get done with all of it, we lose all but 300 men. If you want the numbers from the beginning, 32,000 to 300, that is a 99.99% cut in troops, okay? That is quite significant, all right? But I want to focus on something that he said in, during the first cut. In verse 2, we read, or Israel would boast against me, okay, and say, my own strength has saved me. As I was preparing this and as I was reading this, it stuck out to me that God wanted the odds to be so much in Midian's favor that it was undisputable who got credit for the victory, okay? And what I came to realize as I dug into this and read this and re-familiarized myself with this story is that one of the things that God required from Gideon, required from Israel, and requires from us is a willingness to not need the credit, okay? We cannot need the credit for the victories, the successes, the wins in our life. We have to get past that, all right? And so I think, you know, God had this different plan for Gideon, all right? It did not look like common sense to go from 32,000 to 300 men. Oftentimes, he also has a different plan for us that might not stack up with what we think count common sense is, all right? But sometimes 
the things God asks of his children are counterintuitive. Let me give you a few examples. Um, one would be like when he asks us to surround ourselves with other believers and do the, choose the hard work of growing in relationship with each other. That's counterintuitive. Our flesh doesn't want to do that. Our natural self does not want to do that. Another example would be going to inconvenient places, raising inconvenient amounts of money, and reaching inconvenient people. Like, like what we do with kingdom builders, right? I mean, honestly, that is counterintuitive. That is not us that does that. That is God calling out to us, I want you to do this, and we rise to that occasion through our obedience, right? Another would be um, just the act of giving the money from the money that we make all week at work. Like, that's pretty counterintuitive. Like, the Bible says to tithe, to give 10% of what you make to the, to the church and to the Lord and to live on 90%. That's pretty counterintuitive, right? Okay, so these are just some examples of how what God asks of believers doesn't always make earthly or common sense. But we, let me say it this way. God has a way of life in mind for us as believers, all right, and the starting point for that way of life, the foundational thing is this. Our best life is found when we are dependent on him. When we are dependent on him. Gideon was very dependent on him. After following and obeying and doing all these things, he was very dependent. And as we continue as, as Christians to grow in our walk and to live out the things that we're challenged to do and called to do, we will become more and more dependent. And that is okay. That is the call because, again, God has a way of life in mind for us as believers. If you're going to live dependent on someone, then you certainly are not going to be getting any of the credit, okay? Just like my kids depend on me for a place to sleep tonight. They ain't getting credit for that. That's, that one's on me, all right? Actually, that one's on God, but okay. Uh, just like they, re, they rely on their mom to be their Uber, right? To drive them around and take them to the places that they need to go. So that is, that is what it looks like to be fully dependent is to not need to get the credit. And that's what stands out to me in verse 2. As the story continues, we see God continuing this setup, and he does that second cut and goes from 10,000 men down to 300 like I said, that's a 99.99% reduction in forces. And listen, uh, this, is what, this is what was reminded to me as I read this portion of the story. A long time ago, and I wish I could remember what pastor preached it because I would absolutely give them credit right now. But I heard a message. Camera guys are going to love this. I heard a message uh, that said, why did God choose the guys who were kneeling and drinking their water like a dog as opposed to Camera guys, you ready? As opposed to the guys who were just full send into the creek getting water, okay? What, what was the difference, all right? And, and this was the point. Those, these 300, they stayed alert. They were ready. If, if something went down, they were not going to be completely useless, okay, if they were ambushed or attacked at the creek. These guys, it's kind of over, right? Like, you're just kind of done at that point, all right? That creek's going to be red real quick. So this, and this was the point. This was the point. A couple weeks ago, we had that multi-church service, and I felt led during worship to kneel at the altar. And I knew I was going to be preaching this, and I was preparing in, in my heart and my mind and getting ready for this message. And that all came back to me. And I thought, what? I, God, what is the difference between kneeling, staying prepared for battle, and then like, like I felt led to kneel as an act of surrender, Okay. 
And so I'm like just trying to wrestle through this. Like, couldn't we say that technically these guys that were, I'm not going to do it again, but were like full send into the water, they like had so much faith that they like were full surrender, God, you got this. But then I, I'm not going to say God audibly told me this, but I just felt the word in my spirit, discernment. Discernment. We have to have a discernment for like when we need to stay alert and ready for battle, whatever that might look like. And then, yes, there are times where we need to be in a posture of surrender. But it's not always one and it's not always the other. We need to pursue a spirit-led discernment on these things in our life, okay? And so I think that that is what, for whatever reason, that is what God chose in that moment. Those 300 discerned and stayed ready for battle should that arise because they were, you know, in a war camp. So it kind of seemed necessary to stay in that mode, all right? And so I, I just, as I was preparing this, I felt like the Lord reminded me we need to pray for and pursue a specific discernment to know what God wants from us in given situations. They're not all cookie cutter. They're not all the same. They're not, there are gonna be different times that, we, that God requires different things from us and we need to pursue that discernment. So to this point in the story, we've learned that we need to be dependent on God and we need to pursue a discernment, okay? And I think the big picture lesson, if we wanna zoom out kind of halfway through here is this. God's plan for our life is not always going to make sense for us in a given moment, okay? We talked about how God has a way of, my, a way of life in mind for us, and it's not always going to make sense for us in a given moment, all right? It didn't for Gideon, and it won't always for us. And that, I think, is the takeaway so far into this story. One of the reasons that I think God moves this way in our lives is that he wants us to stay in a place of remembering his work in our lives. He wants us to sustain a place of remembering we don't get the credit for our successes. I said a couple months ago or something in some room I was in, the air you breathe, you had nothing to do with, okay? So like even just that foundational uh, place of like the air we breathe, we don't get credit for that. And it just, it just builds on that. He is our source and our life and our everything, okay? And so whether we are reading from Old Testament or New Testament individuals, whether we are observing and learning lessons from people before Christ's existence or a, existence, before Christ's time on this earth or after, we need to recognize, we need to understand that it is these faith-filled things that sustain us in our Christian journey. Let me read to you from, from verses 9 through 15 in the same chapter, and we'll kind of bring this story home. In verse 9, it says, During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah, and listen to what they are saying, and afterward you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley Thick as locusts, their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. 
When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And then dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them. Okay, again, a lot there. But here's the third thing that stood out to me from this as I continued to familiarize myself with this story. God sent Gideon down to the camp where he overheard their men talking, okay? And they were speaking their own doubt, their own defeat, and he immediately worshiped God and knew the victory was as good as done, okay? He knew the victory was as good as done. And we need to, just like Gideon did, we need to continuously possess a faith that lines up with our dependency and our discernment, okay? What do I mean by that? Think about Gideon. He chose dependency, like very, very much so when he watched his army go from 32,000 men to 300 men. He's very dependent in that moment, right? He, he understood uh, at the creek that apparently there was some discernment or, or there was something that, you know, God made that second cut. He watched it get cut again. And then now that the rubber was really meeting the road, okay, now was not the time to become faithless, all right? Now was not the time to lose faith and lose heart. So he didn't. He went all in and said, God, if this is what you're going to do, and as soon as he heard them talking, he knew it's over. And he went and got his men and said, let's go, all right? And this is what Gideon modeled for us. It took faith to trust everything we've talked about so far in verses 1 through 9. It took faith for all of that. But then you got to take that faith over the finish line. My encouragement to you, my challenge to you today is don't possess faith two-thirds of the way or three-fourths of the way or 90% of the way to your victory. Stick it out, all right? This reminds me of the message I preached a long time ago. Everything looks like failure in the middle. If you quit in the middle, it ain't going to be good. If Gideon had given up early, he wouldn't have seen this victory, okay? But then even in that, if you continue to read on, you see that all Gideon did is rallied his troops. They didn't even use weapons, and they got the victory, okay? They all surrounded the camp with nothing more than a torch covered by a jar, and they had a trumpet, and Gideon gave the signal. The cry went out. Trumpets blasted. They shone their lights, and the Midianites thought, oh, my gosh, we're surrounded. That's all they saw, you know, all around them, and so they started taking out each other. They started taking out each other, and so... The, the fourth and final takeaway from this is this. Sometimes the way God hands you that deliverance isn't going to make sense to you either. What he's going to do to get you there isn't going to make sense necessarily. What he's asking of you might not make common sense. But how he's going to deliver you probably also won't look how you think it's going to look. Might not look how you would do it, okay? But it's not about earthly reason. It's not about our, uh, our mental aptitude and how we would do it. And, okay, God, I'll trust you to hear. But then I know at some point, and, and listen, I'm preaching to myself. I was walking through here today, and, and I was remembering my four points. We need a, a dependency, okay? We need discernment. We need a faith that takes us over the finish line. And I couldn't remember this fourth point. And so I get my notes out, and I look, and I'm like, oh, I couldn't remember the fourth point because the fourth point wasn't about me. Okay, the fourth point was, and then God's going to do it how God wants to do it. 
And I just got to be okay with that, okay? I can do my part. I can be dependent on him. I can live with a, and seek a spirit-filled, spirit-led discernment, all right? I can keep my faith built up and high and strong. But at the end of the day, how God hands the deliverance is 100% in his court. It's 100% how he's going to do it. And I got to be okay with that. And I got to trust in that, all right? And so that is honestly, I think, you know, it feels unnatural. It feels, uh, uh, it doesn't make sense, right? But here's the good news. God is supernatural, okay? And so it doesn't have to feel natural because you're actually tapping into the one who is supernatural, who, who goes beyond our natural understanding and our natural abilities and, and all of that. And so that is where our faith needs to rest. How do you keep your faith up after you've built a dependent life and you seek that discernment and you're working so hard to keep your faith up? How do you keep your faith up? You keep your faith up resting and knowing and trusting in the fact that he's got the ending figured out. He's got it written and he is going to be the breakthrough. We sang it today. I know you're my breakthrough. I don't know how you're my breakthrough. I don't know what that's going to look like. I can't predict the outcome of that. I just know you are my breakthrough, okay? And so I love that. And, and, and I think that that is what God wants us to, to remember and to hear this morning. And that is why we can dig into a, a chapter that was written thousands of years ago. And we can look at, it was a different time. And there were a lot of different things about life then. But what wasn't different was that Gideon had to possess this faith. And he had to have a faith that built him up, that he had built up so much that it took him over the finish line to see God's deliverance in his life, okay? And so... As we close this morning, let me just reiterate those, and then I'm going to pray as we kind of wrap up. But let's, let's seek to be a church, okay? And I think you see this. I really do. We just did a core values series a couple months ago. I think you see this in our core values that we call the DNA of our church. We seek to be dependent on him, right? We really do. And, and we seek to pursue discernment through spirit-led worship and through prayer, all right, we pursue his discernment in our lives. God, what are you asking of us as a church, but then also just of me as an individual in a given moment? Guys like me need to hear, you don't always need to be ready for battle, okay? I wake up ready to fight. I don't know why. That's just how God made me. But some of you all need to hear that God doesn't always want you to just rest in him either, okay? Sometimes you got to be ready to go, all right? And so we need to seek that, that spirit-led discernment. We need to continue in our faith. We need to not quit in the middle, okay? And how we do that, how we do that is that we understand his, his direction might not look natural to us. His deliverance and provision might not be how we would write the story, all right? But when we choose to, li to live dependent on him, with discernment from him, with faith in him, we can realize those victories. We can see him at work in every aspect of our lives. So would you stand up this morning? I'm just going to pray that over you. If you have any thoughts, any questions, any uh, thing you want to share, I'll hang out here afterwards. I'd love to pray with you if that's something that, uh, that you want in these four specific areas. But I, I've just thought of this. We talked about Thanksgiving uh, to kind of start this morning or, or this message. And, you know, I really feel challenged. We are really in the middle of the holiday season, right? I mean, that's, that's where we're at. It just kind of kicked off. And we all know the next four or five weeks, there are all sorts of family situations staring us down, financial situations staring us down, searching for gifts, figuring out finances. I, it's, that is true for all of us, right? We all have that, 
looking at us over the next four or five weeks. And so I want to pray this morning as we close and as we've learned from this book these last couple of weeks um, that we, the people of Erie first, will look to God in new ways, okay, and that we will look for God in new places in our daily lives so that we can live out this teaching that we received this week and that we received last week. So we wouldn't just hear it and say, yeah, yeah, that's good. I like that. The, the words almost all lined up. You were on a good start there when you had dependent and then discernment. And then you couldn't think of a word that started with D for faith. So you went with faith, but, you know, it's church, so faith's okay. No, like I really want us to strive to live this out in our everyday life. God, how can I be more dependent on you? How can I be more discerning of you? How can I just build my faith up in you as I, as I face this season where gifts are hard to find, where finances are hard to come by, or where, you know, I've had more conversations in the last week about uh, the economy and financial stress, and not just because it was holiday and family was in town that has nothing to do with it, and then also like just sickness and, and different challenges that, that people are facing uh, with, with different sicknesses. And so the, the challenges are there, but he's bigger. He is bigger. And we, we serve a God who has a deliverance in mind for us that we don't, won't necessarily always understand, but we just got to keep our eyes open for it so that we see it when he hands it to us and we can just praise him for it and worship him for it. So let me just pray to that end and then we'll go this morning. Jesus, we just praise you in this place. We thank you that you, God, are the source of our faith. You, Holy Spirit, fill us with faith. And so I pray over your church, Erie First, Lord. I thank you that we are that church and that we have uh, answered your call and obeyed you and, and raised funds and sent people and spread your message and spread your gospel. And Lord, we have done, have started the work of doing the counterintuitive uh, uh, things that don't feel natural because we know we're tapping in to the supernatural. But Lord, I pray over every individual who can hear my voice that they will possess that same thing in their life, Lord, that you will give each person a special measure of that dependence and that discernment and that faith, Lord, and that then when, when they see that individual deliverance and victory in their life, Lord, that they would know you alone are the source. The odds might seem so stacked in something else's favor, not their own, but you are at work in their life, and so we just praise you for that and we just worship you as your church. And Lord, I look forward to the testimonies we will be able to share with each other, not for our glory, but for yours. We don't want to boast in our strength, but we want you to get all of the credit. And so we pray all these things in your strong name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. You have a great start to your Christmas season. We'll see you next week.